All right, we're back. We want to just comment briefly about the Sacramento News and Review's annual Best of Sacramento Awards. And no, we're sorry to report that despite our shameless lobbying, our weekly program was unable to overtake in the voting any of the programs which air on a daily basis. And although I don't mind telling you that Insight at Capital Public Radio took third in the voting for Best Radio Program, it is with a heavy heart that I report that the winner in this case was Armstrong and Getty, with the runner-up award going to Mo, Larry, and Curly in the morning. Or as they prefer to be called, Rob, Arnie, and Dawn. So I offer congratulations to Team Insight, and adding that I'm very grateful for the fact that I am able to participate in that endeavor. I want to congratulate uh, the award, the People's Choice Award, going for Best Local Journalist to Cosmo Garvin and R.V. Scheid, both of whom have appeared on this program, I think, more than once. I also want to congratulate Rachel LeBrock at the, Sacram- at the Sacramento News and Review, and we cannot figure out for the life of us why she was tied with Christina Mendonca of KXTV, a newsreader. Also among the people and places category of among... Listed as the best reasons to go to Davis were, one, the Davis Farmer's Market, two, the Robert and Marguerite Mondavi Center for the Performing Arts, and three, UC Davis. I don't see how the university compares to the other two, but eh, what the heck. was why I spent most of the 1970s in the thoroughly admirable town of Davis. I want to also comment the writer's picks among people and places. Only the best place to make a stand was... The Sacramento Delta. I'd like to quote from the entry. Make no mistake, Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger fully intends to have plans in place to build a peripheral canal in the Sacramento Delta before he leaves office next year. Bully for him. He'll be moving back to Southern California, the same place a large chunk of the Sacramento River's water will go if the canal is approved. If you value local farming, touring, and recreation, not to mention the environmental well-being of the largest estuary in the west coast of the Americas, now's the time to make a stand. Visit www.restoredelta.org for more information. We'll be talking more about that in the future. We'll also uh, doff our hat to the Arts Entertainment Award given to Michael Leahy, described as the best champion of the common folk. Michael's also been on this show more than once, we're proud to say. The paper noted that as the host of the long-running Cool as Folk radio show on KDVS, also as the founder of Crossbill Records and a booker of shows in Davis and Sacramento venues, Michael Leahy's been a tremendous resource for folk and Americana music in this region. Well done, Mr. Leahy. We also want to cite uh, the award for Best Local Environmentalist, first place going to Graham Brownstein of the Environmental Council of Sacramento, and Paul Shramsky of Pesticide Watch. Paul is, of course, a formal general manager at KDVS. We've had Paul on a couple times, too, and I'm sure he'll be back as well. Anyway, we'll have more to say about, uh, about the News and Review Awards uh, in the weeks to come. But uh, talking about uh, doing radio and, and uh, what we mentioned at the top of the show, comedy, let's take a moment to air for you a couple of our favorite bits. The first being a couple minutes of Mr. Roberts, classic National Lampoon Radio R bit featuring Bill Murray. We're going to talk today to a musician, the guy who plays the bass. And you know what a bass is, don't you? Can you say that? Don't? Sure you can. Hello. How are you? 
You think you get somebody to give me a cup of coffee or something? You're not used to getting up early? <laughs> I'm not here yet. What time do you usually get up? I usually get up when the sun is warm, like 1 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I like to get up around 6 30. That's insane. You're stupid. Huh? You should sleep late, man. It's just much easier on your constitution. We're going to talk about your base and, and how big it is and things like that. It looks like a violin, but it's bigger, isn't it? It's a hell of a lot bigger. Can you say a violin's a little wimpy thing? Can you say wimpy? Wimpy. That's right. Wimpy thing. I like the way you say that. Did you know that? I do now. The hell, you're easily amused, aren't you? I say wimpy, wompy, wambly. I know what you mean. You know something? I like what your your face does when you play. It kind of gets all sort of squinched up. Yeah, know? somebody told me once that my face when I played a bass, it looks like some sort of a, a, like a big uh, jellyfish or something like that. It just keeps moving. Sure. You can never identify what the face is. and real ugly sometimes and real weird looks like a fruit or something like that. It just keeps flashing at you know, like yeah. some rubber, sure. rubber or something. Tell me some of the things you think about when you're playing, the, the images. Because, of course, when you're playing... I thought of things like sheep and things like that, little candies, fresh little candies and things like that. Do you think of those things too? Oh, I, th I basically think about my financial situation. I count every like beat I, I play, every note I play, and I figure out how many notes I'm giving uh, into the space, you know, uh -huh. out in the space. Sure. Um, for how much I'm getting paid, and I am working cheap. Must be hard to sort of struggle to get your band together. Though. Oh, man, especially when you be lifting piano, man. That is the worst. Huh? I, I worked as a mover for two years while I was first getting a band together, and I also, I've also made pizza. But now you're playing music, and so the story sort of has a happy ending, doesn't it? Uh, it's, yeah, it's sort of a happy ending. Uh, we just got the shaft from a record company that had promised to pay us a certain amount of royalties. And oh, then that's they said too bad. All sorts of stuff went into pre-production and charged That's us for typewriters. They'd be charging us for stamps, they say, and stuff. How much sure. is a stamp, you know? Sure. I, I buy the goddamn stamp, you Sure, know? I know what you mean. Well, I'm sure a lot of people out there would like to know how a big, strong guy like you plays the bass so well. Gets to be so strong, what it eats to be like that. Can you tell us that? Well, I eat a lot of garbage food. But uh, I, I mainly subsist on stuff like sandwiches and tins of tuna, chicken, something like that from a chain store, soda. Do you ever have Egg McMuffin? Sometimes, Dad, or cheese printers. Can you say Egg McMuffin? Egg McMuffin, yeah. Well, I know what I'd like to do now. I'd like to hear you play some bass. Yeah, like I'd it? like to do that. Well, we're going to go to the Magic Kingdom. Oh, no, man, it's too early for me. <laughs> I got to drive. That is a classic. We also like the immortal Bob and Ray. <laughs> One of our favorite bits is their routine titled The Komodo Dragon. Well, we've had from time to time with us uh, experts. We always love to bring them on our programs and shows. Tonight is Dr. Daryl Dexter, the Komodo Dragon expert from uh, Upper Montclair, New Jersey. Say, uh, would you tell us a little bit about the Komodo Dragon, Doctor? Happy to. The Komodo Dragon is the world's largest living lizard. It's a ferocious carnivora found on the steep-sloped island of Komodo in the Lesser Sunda chain of the Indonesian archipelago and the nearby islands of Rinja, Padar, and Flores. Where do they come from?
the Komodo dragon, world's largest living lizard, is found on the island of Komodo in the lesser Sunda chain of the Indonesian archipelago and the nearby islands of Rinja, Padar, and Flores. Now, we have two in this country that were given to us some years ago by the late former premier of Indonesia, Sukarno, and they reside in the National Zoo in Washington. I uh, believe I read somewhere where a foreign potentate gave America some Komodo dragons. Uh, is that true? Yes. The former premier of Indonesia, Sukarno, gifted our country with two Komodo dragons, world's largest living lizards, and they reside at the National Zoo in Washington. Well, now, if uh, we wanted to take the youngsters <laughs> to see a Komodo dragon, uh, where would we take the youngsters to see a Komodo dragon? If you were in the vicinity of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., you would take the kiddos to the National Zoo, and there you'd see two live Komodo dragons, the world's largest living lizards. There's a stuffed Komodo dragon in the lobby of the Royal Hotel in Kathmandu, Nepal. Now, they're of the lizard family, aren't they? Yes. They're the world's largest living lizard and a ferocious carnivory. They have red darting tongues which suck in air and take it to their smelling glands and their throats. Now, uh, do they eat other things, these uh, Komodo dragons? Yes, they're ferocious carnivores. In fact, they can gulp down the hindquarters of a deer in one bite. And uh, what about that smelly tongue they have? No, they have a red tongue which brings in air to their smelling glands. Okay, well, I guess that about exhausts the subject, Doctor. I want to thank you for coming by. I know we all know a good deal more now about the Komodo dragon than we did a few moments ago. I attempted to go for the hat trick and, and do one of our favorite bits from the old National Lampoon Radio Hour, The Immigrants, but I think we'll put that on next week's show. And if you missed my all-time favorite among the bits ever aired on the National Lampoon Radio Hour, that would be Perry Schreiner, court-appointed lawyer. We refer you to our archives. Type in Perry Schreiner and listen to it if you missed it on the first go-around or if you just need to hear it again. And frankly, I think you need to hear it again. All right, everybody loves mysteries. Let's see if we can close the show with uh, some scientific mysteries cited by our good pals, New Scientist magazine. Apparently in 1997, an array of underwater microphones or hydrophones owned by the U.S. government, which we have strewn all over the world's oceans to monitor uh, traffic, including possibly Soviet subs, etc. Well, Russian subs, I guess now. Um, this, these hydrophones picked up a strange sound. For a minute, it rose rapidly in frequency, then it disappeared. Apparently during the summer, they picked up this sound again and again. After which it was never heard from again. No one knows what made it. It's now been called the bloop. We have a clip, Mr. McMillan. 
Well, apparently no one's been able to figure out what that was, but it was heard over thousands of miles of water. Note of the magazine, it's not the only mysterious sound heard in the ocean. That same year, <laughs> hydrophones picked up the slowdown sound. Apparently over the course of seven minutes, this dropped in pitch like the sound of an airplane flying past. Analysts have said, well, the bloop sounds like it might have been created by an animal, but it's far louder than any whale song. Meaning if it was a marine creature, it must be bigger than a whale. Or a much more efficient producer of sound. The most popular speculation about the slowdown is it was caused by the breakup of Antarctic ice meaning it might be some indicator of climate change. I think that one's a stretch. And uh, when it comes to astronomy, uh, scientists have always assumed that space is filled with the same stuff wherever you go. But apparently Sasha Kalinske of NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center in Maryland found something odd. A group of galaxy clusters moving at extraordinary speeds toward a small patch of sky, which has been labeled the Dark Flow. There's no obvious reason why these clusters should be moving at such breakneck speeds unless they're experiencing an unusually strong pull from something beyond the visible horizon. But what? Well, the speculation is there's some mega structure out beyond uh, where we can see, and that's pulling on stuff, <laughs> but nobody knows. Let's close with some other item of pulling on stuff out in space. We've talked about this before. When spacecraft have returned to visit the visit. When spacecraft have returned to the vicinity of Earth, as, as they sometimes do to pick up uh, gravitational assists, they've undergone strange accelerations that nobody can figure out. These are small changes in speed, but they are significant. This may be an anomaly having something to do with dark matter that's bound to planet Earth. We may get to find that in November, because uh, retired NASA engineer John Anderson's watching keenly on November 13th, as the European Space Agency's Rosetta spacecraft will fly by Earth for the third and final time on its way to go visit a comet. John Anderson plans to put the data from this uh, most recent, this, this upcoming flyby together with uh, what they have before and see if they can figure this out. Nothing in known physics predicts this acceleration. But they are trying to work out uh, how the probes come in and go out, their trajectory angles related to Earth's rotational velocity and Earth's rotational velocity, and they think this may hold the key. But uh, it's all speculation right now. We'll, we'll readdress this uh, come November. Let's see, we got about one minute left for one final item. Apparently a comprehensive study on aging conducted by the Pew Research Center last summer noted that no matter what their chronological age, senior citizens say they aren't old yet, even if they are. And even if they are, but it's not so bad. Most people age 65 and, o and most people age 65 and older responded they didn't experience the declines typically associated with aging, declines in memory, health, sex drive, and driving. As for when old age actually begins, well, it depends on the age of the person you ask. More than half of respondents under 30 said they believe the average person is old by 60, where most middle-aged respondents say it's closer to 70, while those 65 and older say it begins at 75. When you ask 75-year-olds, they say they feel they're only 65. 
And when queried, most adults over 50 feel at least 10 years younger than their actual age. Study author told the New York Times there's a saying that you're never too old to feel young. And boy, have older Americans today taken that one to heart. And that, of course, allows us to close with the, that great quote from the immortal Satchel Page, who said that aging is a matter of mind over matter. If you don't mind, it don't matter. We're out of time. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. We'll see you next week with more fun. And by the way, a recent survey done by the Pew Charitable Trust shows that people who listen to Radio Parallax feel at least 10 years younger than their chronological age. We'll have plenty more on next week's program. We'll see you then. I've been first and last Look at how the time goes past But I'm all